The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to the Retail Therapy Podcast, proudly brought to you by AWS. Having navigated the worst of the pandemic, businesses are now moving on to tackle the next big global disruptor in climate change. In this season, we're talking to business leaders, academics and climate experts about their personal journeys and fighting for a more sustainable future. We'll also learn more about businesses and how they're meeting their sustainability targets. Joining me today is David Ritter, the CEO of Greenpeace Australia Pacific. David's been leading the organisation here in Australia since 2012, after five years working in a senior campaigns position with Greenpeace in London. Before Greenpeace, he spent more than a decade working as a lawyer with a particular focus on native title. David's also an author. His most recent book is The Cold Truth, The Fight to Stop Adani, Defeat the Big Polluters and Reclaim Our Democracy. And I'm delighted to be chatting with David today to talk all things sustainability, climate change and the work he's doing at Greenpeace at the moment. David, welcome. Paul, hi. Great to be with you. We all know about Greenpeace. It's been around for many decades and has expanded over the years to have offices all over the world. Your bio says that you've loved Greenpeace since you were a kid. Tell us how you first heard about the organisation, how you're drawn to it, and the journey you've been on to now lead the organisation here in Australia. Well, Paul, Greenpeace and I both turned 50 last year. Wow. Um, (laughs) And uh, uh, we're a couple of months apart. Um, And I grew up in Western Australia, which is where Greenpeace was born in Australia, where um, there was still whaling going on. And from 1977 for a couple of years, the Greenpeace boats were going out to try and get between the harpoons and the whales. And so as a kid, I really grew up with these sort of stories in the community of um, of Greenpeace literally saving the whales down the south coast of Western Australia. Um, you then jump forward to the mid-1980s and I can remember exactly where I was when I heard about the Rainbow Warrior being bombed in Auckland Harbour. Um, at some point there was a picture of the ship that went up on my wall in my bedroom as a teenager. Um, and then coming out of university, I, I did spend some time as a lawyer. Um, some of those years were spent um, in commercial law and at some point um, someone bowled up to me on the street and said, how about donating to Greenpeace? And uh, I beamed at them and said, I'd love to. And so I was a was a monthly uh, donor to Greenpeace long before I worked for Greenpeace. Wow. Um, and then when I sort of reached the, the point in my mid-30s of, you know, I'd, I'd enjoyed being a lawyer and you need great lawyers in the in the community, but uh, I wanted, I'm not saying I was a great lawyer, but one, the, the community needs great lawyers. Um, I, I, it was time for me to do other things. Um, and for various reasons, I was, was in London. I, I followed the love of my life, among other reasons. Um, and uh, there was a, a job to work for Greenpeace in a senior campaigns position, and I didn't really know what you needed to work at Greenpeace, but I thought this would just be absolutely incredible to be able to work for this organisation that I've loved since I was a kid. And uh, so I put in an application and 15 years later, here I am. 
The organisation stemmed from a small group of protesters against nuclear weapons testing in the late 60s. It's grown to be quite a sophisticated organisation today. Tell us about the work you're doing at the moment here in Australia because it's much more than organising protests, I'm sure. And what are some of the things that your organisation is doing that the general public might be surprised to know about? Well, I think we've always been more, I'd characterise us as a campaigning organisation rather than a protest organisation. So we will always approach an issue uh, with a solution and we'll approach that issue with the question of, well, what decision makers need to be shifted in order that we can, we can solve that issue and the solution can be implemented? And so in Australia right now, we, we know that uh, climate change is the single greatest threat to our environment and to our own futures. And so what we're dedicated towards doing in Australia at the moment is our priorities are looking at the greatest sources of carbon emissions in Australia and uh, flipping those um, so that those emissions are abated and so that the, the key campaigns there are the re-energise campaign, which has been all about encouraging major corporate energy users to uh, stop buying electricity um, generated by coal and to instead go to 100% renewable electricity by 2025 or sooner. And that's been a fantastically uh, successful uh, campaign. Yes. Um, and then on the on the flip side of the um, of the uh, generation side, uh, working to get AGL, who are responsible for around ten percent of Australia's domestic carbon pollution, uh, to commit to coal closures by twenty thirty and to becoming instead uh, renewable energy company. Mm. That's amazing. I mean, the climate change debate has been quite divisive in Australia and politically charged. As, as it stands, we've had a commitment from the government for net zero emissions by 2050 and to reduce um, emissions by 26 to 28% by 2030. Why is that not enough, do you think? Well, it's, look, it's not enough because it's just not real in any way, really. And it's, I mean, first of all, it's simply not fast enough. We are in a state of literal emergency. The, the most recent set of uh, IPCC reports, the IPCC is the authority uh, on global climate science, um, said that we are close to um, uh, running out of any chance to, to hit the 1.5 degree Paris climate target and that really called for um, emergency speed and scale for complete decarbonisation, really, from a country like Australia within a decade. So the, the, the kind of time frame that's talked about um, and at at, has been talked about at a national level in Australia just is nowhere near fast enough for a literal emergency. Mm. You know, with the fires, the, the terrible floods we saw in New South Wales and Queensland earlier this year, um, the the bleaching of our Great Barrier Reef. Uh, we've now had four mass bleachings in six years. These are all signs of the emergency that we are in. Yes. And ev even with those, um, with that inadequate speed, there's, there's no credible mechanisms for getting there and there's not really even any good faith attempt to do so. Um, and so that's why uh, out of 170 nations, Australia was recently ranked 170th for our performance uh, on, on addressing climate change at a, at a national level. It, it really is disgraceful and it's it's only harming the country. It certainly is disgraceful. Now, you called out AGL. I, I noted um, uh, it would be interesting to know, if those people listening would be interested to know, is there any energy company in Australia that you would say is doing the right thing? Well, look, we've... Um, Greenpeace, we, we only ever take on a campaign when you know what the solution uh, is. And earlier this year, we 
put out a new iteration of our very popular green electricity guide. Um, it's a terrific resource where anyone can go uh, and have a look and see uh, within their state or territory which are the energy companies that are producing 100% renewable energy. Um, and it's terrific because there are now options. I mean, one of the, th this is a terribly difficult area. I mean, we are in deep trouble yeah. as a, as a civilization, as a planet. Um, but on the other hand, great things are now starting to happen quickly. There is momentum there. We just have to increase the pace of it. And so that guide, just so we can mention again, David, is, is called the Green Guide, is it? The Green Electricity Guide. So okay. if you if you hit your favourite search engine for Green Electricity Guide and you can chuck in Greenpeace as well, you'll you'll land straight there and it's a very, very user-friendly guide to use. Okay, well, that, that's one one tip out of many I'm sure you're going to share today, David. That's, that's really helpful. What do you see as the greatest barriers, do you think, for the business community in setting and reaching net zero targets? Well, look, I think uh, there's probably three things I've mentioned. I think the first the first barrier really is just that threshold step of saying, you know, let's do something about it. And um, it's amazing what happens when, when businesses make those commitments. So coming out of Re-Energise, we've seen major Australian corporations take that step. You know, we've seen Bunnings, Woolworths, Coles, Telstra, Aldi, uh, others uh, that have said, well, what what can we do here? What is the biggest thing we can do? And yes. have committed to 100% renewable electricity by 2025 or sooner. In Aldi's case, they got there by June 2021, which was six months ahead of schedule. It's just wonderful. What each of these companies had in common uh, was leadership that said, well, we will do this, and yes. they got on with it. So maybe that's the first one is just, just getting over that leadership threshold. And the second one is, I think, I think there's sometimes a bit of a sort of um, sense that it's uh, that, that so long as something is being done, it doesn't matter if it's only small scale. And I think that is a great barrier. We really have to reach the stage of business saying, what is the biggest thing we can do on climate change? And um, I, I recall a conversation with um, Tom Daunt, the CEO of Aldi, who, uh, who said he'd, no, they'd made a decision to do something. And so the first question they asked was, what is the biggest contribution that we can make? And if you, if you check out, um, uh, and, you know, not to, not to sort of big up Aldi in particular or anything, Greenpeace is uh, entirely independent of every uh, business, every government and every political party. We accept no, no funding from, from any uh, corporation. But So I'm not, I'm not bigging up a sponsor yes. or anything. <laughs> um, but if you check out the, the Aldi website, they will say there that they reduced their emissions by 85% by making their first priority uh, transitioning to buying all of their electricity from renewable sources. And you can look at Amazing. other companies that have made the change as well, and it's a similarly just massive contribution. And then maybe the, the third barrier is, um, is something around maladaptive behaviour. So um, there's, a, there's uh, a particular focus in one of the recent UN reports around how some businesses and some governments have said they're taking climate action, but they're picking the wrong things. Right. And so if you see a business that goes, yeah, yeah, we want to do something about climate, we know we can offset all of, our, all of the damage that we're doing. 
Well, unfortunately, what the research shows is that mostly those offsets are not real carbon savings. It's a kind of maladaptive behaviour. Similarly, you'll sometimes see a business that will, um, you know, they'll, they'll go for something else that they'll say is, is contributing to climate and really it's maladaptive because, again, it comes back to that point of not targeting the biggest things first. So I, so I think coming back to your question, the greatest barrier for the business community in, in setting and reaching net zero targets is, first of all, leadership and, second of all, being really clear that the job is to cut emissions at source, so no longer buying coal power and then getting away from oil and gas. Oh, some great um, tips and insights. And and I guess the, the other point I just want to raise with that, David, the ARA has actually launched a sustainability microsite as part of the ARA website, retail.org.au, and where most of the, the um, retailers you just mentioned are ARA members that are actually sharing their insights with us. So we're really very much working towards um, – uh, getting to those targets sooner rather than later and helping our members get there. So those of you listening that are running a small, medium size or large business, please, um, do hop on our website and commit to those targets. And, um, and as a result, you'll see, um, what our members, other members are doing as well. Now, Australia, um, has been criticized on the world stage for failing to take decisive action, um, uh, on climate change. Why do you think it's such a divisive issue in this country? Whereas that doesn't seem to be the case in other countries like in Europe. I'll come to that question in a moment, but maybe if I could just quickly build on what you said about the RE membership, because I yes. think that's fantastic. Right. I think that's really fantastic. Thank you. When, when we see businesses that have made those commitments coming together as a community of practice to create that virtuous cycle, saying, how do we all do this as a business community yes. to get there faster because it's good for everyone, that is fantastic. That well, is that, fantastic, David. That's terrific to hear. And uh, again, I, um, I'm really encouraged by that. I'm hearing, um, you know, you've got a very high benchmark, and I think to hear that, I mean, we, we're finding we're creating such a sense of community now. With, with uh, and we see sustainability as the biggest, um, n the next biggest disruptor for the retail industry, and the difference in. Um, in uh, climate change specifically compared to the digital disruption that retailers went through is that digital disruption came from nowhere. Nobody planned for it. In this case, we've had plenty of notice uh, and we want people to plan for it. And in fact, you know, some may say it's too late, but we know that we still, you know, every day counts. We may get there, get there towards the end if everybody pulls their weight and does something. Uh, and that's what we want to get to. So I might come back to that, to the question um, around our country in Australia around uh, taking um, action has been very divisive comparing to what's happening in, in other countries like Europe. I mean, you've lived in London. Um, give me a sense of what you think the, the core issues are. Yeah, well, look, I think um, we've been held back in Australia by a concentrated campaign by some vested commercial and political interests um, that largely centre around coal and, and gas. And, you know, there's a number of terrific Australian journalists who've now um, uh, gone through this. I mean, most recently, uh, Marion Wilkinson's uh, book, uh, called the Carbon Club, I think. And really what, what that investigative journalism has laid out is that there was a concentrated campaign by big polluters led by coal and gas companies who found allies within um, the uh, mainstream political parties and allies within some sections of the media who embarked on a very deliberate campaign to sow doubt, 
to stop good policy being made um, and to hold things back. And unfortunately, that has had terrible consequences for our country. It has had terrible consequences for the world. And really, we just haven't seen anything like it in the same way uh, in um, in Northern Europe. And it's a, it's a dreadful shame for Australia. I mean, we're a country with such a proud tradition. Yes of political innovations for progress um, to see us uh, being seen as such a laggard. I mean, it, it got so bad before the most recent global climate talks that some that diplomats from some of Australia's traditional allies in Europe and in North America gathered together to try and work out what mm. they could do to deal with this laggard Australia. I mean, it's terribly, terribly embarrassing. And the rest of the world, I'm afraid, is, is simply on the move. You spend a few years working for Greenpeace based in London. What are the differences, do you think, from a campaign technique and public attitudes compared to here in Australia? Well, I think you, you, you touch on um, one of the, the main ones already, that, that there is not that entrenched sort of foolishness um, driven by the vested interests of, of mm. fossil fuel companies in Australia in quite the same way. Um, but I think also London... Um, maybe because it is part of Europe, even notwithstanding Brexit, and maybe because there's still um, a residue of, of, of feeling around um, Britain's um, global role. Yes. There's, I think the place is certainly more outward looking. And I think in Australia, we can really do a lot more thinking about what are climate impacts in our region um, where our near neighbours in the Pacific uh, have implored Australian governments to close down coal because coal is the biggest driver of, of the climate emergency um, and where our near neighbours in the Pacific are under existential threat. So the countries will actually be wholly submerged mm. um, uh, by global temperature rise of one5 um, And so I think there's a, there's a real contrast between the sense of responsibility that that exists within the sort of public debate in mm. uh, the UK compared to really a sort of national blindness and irresponsibility I think we sometimes see in Canberra. AWS is committed to building a sustainable business for our customers and the planet. To drive collective cross-sector action on the climate crisis, we co-founded the Climate Pledge with Global Optimism on the conviction that businesses are responsible, accountable and able to act on the climate crisis. To find out how AWS can support you to modernise your business to reach your organisation's sustainability goals, head to the link in the show notes. Now, Greenpeace has a track record of working in partnership with industry and under your leadership you worked with a number of the major retailers. I think you've just touched on some of that earlier. Tell us about that initiative and what came out of it. Are there similar similar opportunities, I might say, to work together in the future? I think there are huge opportunities and, and it does come from ultimately from our independence. So Greenpeace takes no money from any business ever. Um, but what we want is solutions. Mm. So there is that opportunity to campaign with business, to urge business to make commitments. And and um, uh, executives know that, you know, we're not looking for a, for a partnership or a sponsorship or something out of it. We just want to get outcomes for wildlife, for nature, for people, for the planet. And so that does that does create um, opportunities at times to work together. And the Reenergize initiative has been a terrific example where we mapped the top hundred uh, corporate energy users in Australia 
and where those commitments were against um, best practice and then went out to encourage businesses to to be more ambitious and faster mm. around their commitments and you know i had the had the um role often of having the conversations with the the heads of company and you know what we tended to see from from the c-suite from the 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 ceos was a sort of calculus that went well um the numbers say it works um it's incredibly popular with our stakeholders with our staff uh it's it's what the community expects of us um, and then a kind of third moment, which was all about, well, and I've got to sleep at night too, David. Mm. So business interest, stakeholder expectations and personal morality all kind of combined. And, and the sort of um, the catalyzing of the catalyst for that moment was the Greenpeace campaign, the Greenpeace engagement with the business. Yeah, amazing. Um, and, and from our perspective, it's cutting emissions. It's cutting emissions, so yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. And there is still plenty of opportunity to uh, to work together uh, with business in the future because there are still a number of businesses um, who haven't yet uh, committed to that 100% renewable electricity by 2025 or, yes. or sooner. And then there are other areas such as uh, fleet electrification, um, uh, uh, passenger fleet, I should say, electrification, um, and uh, and other areas as well. We've, we've got to get to decarbonisation, you know, within a decade. So uh, there's still plenty to do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you also do a lot of writing. With your last essay, The Banksia Revolution in uh, Griffith Review, can you tell me more about that? What's with the new alliance of uh, community and capital? Well, that uh, I, I do like to do a, a bit of scribbling. It's a way of uh, focusing the mind. And um, look, that last essay really was intended almost as a bit of a sort of um, celebration of, of what I saw as uh, the response of Australians to the calamity of the uh, Eastern States bushfires of, of two and a bit years ago. And, um, you know, we, we saw what I think was generally regarded as a very poor national government response to the, the tragedy of those fires. And you contrasted that with the amazing response of affected communities, impacted communities, where you just saw the best in people again and again and again, in the emergency service responders, in the people who were doing the caring for each other, in, in, in every, every, every story really that came out of those communities. And I, I went and had some conversations with some, some survivors who'd, who'd been part of all of that. And so that was your community response. And then on the other hand, you saw the response of, of business in the wake of the fires. And that's the kind of thing we've just been talking about, Paul. So, so major corporations saying, we have got to do our bit here. Yes. We've got to get emissions down because, you know, we live in this country too. We smelt that smoke too. You know, we've got friends who are impacted by that too. We've got staff who work in those communities too. And so the commitment by major businesses to say, we don't want the conditions that generate these fires getting worse, so we need to slash our emissions yes. fast. And this, I think, is this alliance of community and capital that decided let's go when our federal politicians were letting us down. Um, amazing. Uh, amazing. When you're targeting major energy companies in the way that you do, I, I imagine there's all sorts of threats of legal action and confrontation. How do you deal with the combative nature and that you remain true to the values of your organisation? Well, 
Greenpeace, and it's, it's in the name, we're an organisation that's really founded on ideas of um, peace and of love. I mean, we're, we're ultimately driven by love for nature and love for humanity. Um, we're independent. Um, the only agenda is, uh, is an earth capable of nurturing life in all of its magnificent diversity, which is our mission. So that means we don't come to campaigning um, with energy companies or, or any others with, with anger or with um, hatred or, or any of those things or with the desire to dominate or any of that, that negative stuff, we, we come always with um, the objective of, of, of securing the earth. Yes. Um, and and what, what we're wanting is a, a way out, a way through. So to use the, the practical example of, of AGL, um, we want AGL to become a superhero. Mm. We want AGL to become a major driver of our clean energy revolution so that all of those dedicated staff inside AGL are going home every day saying, wow, yes. I've got to use my skills to make Australia a safer, more prosperous, more flourishing place. So, so that's the aim. Mm. Um, and absolutely, there will be times um, when um, we need to be brave and we need to be robust and we need to be fearless. So, you know, again, to use the, the actual example of AGL, um, they, they, when we first launched the campaign um, uh, highlighting AGL's role as Australia's greatest uh, climate polluter, um, they, they sued us in the federal court for, for making fun of them. And, you know, nobody particularly wants to be um, sued, but you can't back down in, in these important no. questions of freedom of expression and freedom of speech. So we had a terrific legal team and we stood up to them and, and um, AGL uh, lost comprehensively in the federal court. But at no stage in those proceedings um, was it anything other than a, than a principled stand. Um, and that that's the Greenpeace way. We will continue mm. to take a principled, independent, brave stand uh, founded on a commitment to um, people and to nature that is based ultimately in love and in peace. That's fascinating, David. I, I guess my next question really is around what your priorities are now as an organisation. If you think about the next decade, what, what, what would you say your priority, priorities are? Well, I can be really clear on that. We need to uh, reach net zero in Australia Within a decade or so, uh, as fast as as fast as we, yes. I mean, if we could do it in seven years, let's do it in seven years. Um, we have all of the technical and policy solutions that we need to get there. Uh, we could also make our our country. Um, uh, we can give nature um, a go with that. We can have cleaner cities, cleaner waterways. We can create jobs. We can create new export opportunities. Um, we can make ourselves a, a country to be prouder of again. Um, we can become a more equal country. Um, uh, we can unleash the creativity that I think is really part of who we are as Australians. Yes. So all of, all of this can be immensely positive. Um, but the priority has got to be uh, cutting those emissions within that decade. And that means, above all, we've got to get our coal-burning power stations closed by 2030 or sooner. We've got to put an end to any new coal, gas or oil 
Um, the, the International Energy Agency has said there can be no new coal, ass, coal gas, or oil if we are serious about the Paris climate goals. Yeah. Um, so that has got to be our number one priority. Absolutely, I think you're not going to get any, too many argument from, from me on that. But I, I, I guess you've you've often come across opposition and uh, addressing climate change and environmental efforts uh, is the best interests of Australians governments and industry and and I guess what I'd like to is my last question for you David how can all parties do you think work best together to bring about change I mean wouldn't that be fantastic wouldn't that be absolutely fantastic and the thing is that the spirit is there for exactly what you've outlined now if you look at the the recent research done, there is now a clear clear the, the largest electoral survey yet. There is now a clear majority in every state in Australia, in every electorate in Australia, for ambitious climate action. We have the most literally the most trusted brands in Australia supporting through doing hundred percent renewable electricity by twenty twenty five or sooner. So we have the foundations for uh, uh, all parties uh, working best together to bring about change. All we need now is the politicians to catch up. Yes. And, you know, in a way we've seen what is possible at a state level where you've got in, for example, South Australia earlier this year, the state election, there was a change of power. But what didn't change was a commitment to the renewables uh transition you know we had the former coalition um premier steve marshall committing to a target of 500 percent renewables Mm. so so to bring all parties together what we really need is the politicians just to act in the best interests of australians australians to recognize that it is their obligation their primary obligation to secure the safety of Australians and the future of our country. And that means putting to one side the, the the partisan wars that they've had and getting on with it just in the way that community and uh, many businesses now are. David, you raised some amazing points there. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our chat. Congratulations on all the work you've done and are continuing to do at Greenpeace. Thanks for chatting and all the best for the future. Thanks so much, Paul. It's been a real pleasure to chat. Thank you for joining me for some retail therapy. With special thanks to our season partner, AWS, who can assist retailers navigating through their own sustainability journey with a wealth of practical resources. For more information, check out the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the ARA, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes.